Hello and welcome to Dowdy, the podcast where me, Mariana Feijó, talk to my guests about the concept of bravery, or braveness, even just the moments where folks have been slightly out of their comfort zones. This week I was brave because I've returned to exercise after my knee injury. The knee is still not fully recovered, I still feel pain in some movements, and there is um, a specific move that I haven't fully pinpointed that makes it go inside <laughs> if that makes any sense and it's like uh, doing that less and less and it's healing I can feel that it's getting better and better but I'm still afraid of hurting myself again and I've actually realized that I'm very afraid of losing mobility and strength with aging I guess that's what it is And I know that's something that most people expect. I think that's not something that's inevitable or not fully inevitable. And I'm also like only 35, so I'm still young. <laughs> so I have a new commitment to myself, which is to build strength for longevity. The next step is actually going through with my plan and commitment and accountability. And now that I've recorded it on a podcast that's going out for people to listen to, maybe I will do it. Because it's been really tough this past week to keep myself accountable to my own commitment to myself. Further along in the episode, I talk about the need to be brave to break up with my therapist. And that's not what I'm mentioning in this intro because I feel like I wasn't brave. I actually overslept on a day that is now my last session with my therapist. It wasn't on purpose. It may have been an unconscious thing that happened that made me not set up the alarm on the day I had the session. So I ended up breaking up through email. I'm not a brave person. <laughs> It's funny that I'm doing this podcast because I'm not actually a brave person. <laughs> this episode does start as Dowdy always starts, but with a slight, slight difference, which is I have two guests today. So the episode starts with Patrick Kotner and Connor Ratliff introducing themselves. My name is Patrick Kotner. I'm a... Uh the producer of the George Lucas talk show. I also worked on the Chris Gethard show and the President show and ASCAD over at UCB and a bunch of other fun stuff. And my name is Connor Ratliff. I'm the creator of the George Lucas talk show. I pretend to be George Lucas on it every week. Uh, and I'm an actor and an improviser and a podcaster. I think that's all of my titles. Those yeah. are the big ones. The last time I saw the George Lucas talk show in real life, I gave you um, a thing to give away, a little poster I had found on the streets mm -hmm. of London. Yeah. And I have a couple more that I was saving for the next two times <laughs> that I went to see the George Lucas talk show in person. And it's now been over a year. So yeah. hopefully, hopefully that'll change soon. We'll see. Who knows? Right? Yeah. I mean, we we did this show for like six years in theaters, mostly in, in New York City. But we would do it monthly. Like the most we would ever do was occasionally there'd be an instance where we'd have a show and then we'd have another show somewhere in the same month. But we never did more than two shows. And that would be rare. Most months it was one show. And we do an hour at midnight, you know. And in the past, 
I think in the first month and a half of doing the shows online, we had surpassed the number of hours that we had done in six years. So uh, we now have done more. There are more hours of the George Lucas show since last May than there. If you were going to start watching The Simpsons from the beginning or our last year of shows, you would finish The Simpsons earlier. Because every week we had we had four more hours to it, even on a short week. So it's like more than eight episodes of The Simpsons every week. I did for the first time. You the first time was when you watched did the watch along for the Star Wars, yeah. all the Star Wars. Yeah, and I did sleep and woke up and kept watching like the whole night. Yeah, that yeah. was a. Uh, I think we went. I want to say it was thirty three de- hours. Definitely more than thirty one hours. hours. Somewhere. Yeah. Uh, where we watched every Star Wars movie back to back, and we did it as a fundraiser to raise money for the laid off uh, UCB theater employees, and it was a lot, but it was fun, and we raised like over twenty thousand dollars that day, which was really cool and helpful for a lot of people. But it was a very long day, and none of us want to do it again. Yeah, we're gonna do a thing for Star Wars Day <laughs> this year that will not be thirty one hours. It'll be a diff. We're actually gonna. I won't announce what it is we're doing, but the thing we're doing this year is the thing that last year I proposed and everyone said, no way, absolutely not. So in in like April of 2020, the idea that, that Griffin Newman, who plays Watto on the show, and Patrick both resoundingly refused to do. They said we will... And then for about six months, I kept saying what... I kept joking that we were going to do this. And they would just say, no, absolutely not, never. We will never do this. And now we're going to do it. And that just shows you the yeah. way that the pandemic has broken people is that, is that <laughs> something that was completely off the table, never to be done uh-huh. in August of 2020 is is now going to happen in May on May 2nd. Yeah. Yeah. The pandemic has that, mm-hmm. that effect. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's broken us all down. And also uh, now, like uh, coming back to, to the podcast, the first question I ask people and that I think is related to being like, I don't know, I guess brave enough to stay for 34 hours watching <laughs> the whole of the Star Wars yeah, yeah. while other people are watching you. How would you define bravery? Oh, boy. I I mean, that's a. I would say, I don't know. For me, I... I think I'm a very cowardly person. So I think I, I would define bravery as doing uh, good things that I don't want to do. <laughs> like yeah. a, a person doing something yeah. because they think it's a good thing to do despite very much not wanting to do that thing. When I think of bravery, that's what I think about, which is the image in my head when I think of bravery is someone rushing into a burning building to save somebody. Nobody wants to go inside a building that's on fire. Unless you're a weirdo. Unless you're yeah, a weirdo. Yeah, I, I, the number of instances in which it wouldn't count as brave would be very, very unusual. <laughs> People are like, that building's on fire. I can't wait to get inside it to feel the flames. <laughs> but yeah, so big or small, I think it has to be something good. It has to be something you don't want to do or that you're frightened of. Mm-hmm. And then you do it. Yeah, I mean, I think I also relate to Connor when I say I am, uh, I definitely do not consider myself brave. And uh, this podcast has been very stressful for me this week to think of brave (laughs) things that I have done. It's been keeping me up at night. And I don't even know if I'm going to have a good answer when you ask it in a little bit. No spoilers, but we'll see. Um, I think bravery to me would be doing something that you know is the right thing to do, even though it turns your stomach in order to do it and it makes you not feel good 
in the moment, even though you know eventually later <laughs> you will feel really good about it. It's usually not fun, and it's usually a, a terrifying prospect, but, you know, sometimes uh, you, you know it will pay off in the long run, so you just do it. That's not a good definition, but it is a definition. Well, and another thing that I think about, I think about people who are, like, vegetarian or vegan and the different ways that you can be vegetarian or vegan, the different reasons that you have. And I always think the people that are the most, the, the ones that I have the most respect for, the ones that I think, like, oh, man, are the ones who actively uh, want to eat meat but believe that it is wrong and therefore they sacrifice it. There are other people that their palate runs toward they like quinoa and they like, you know, they like the taste of vegan things and it just lines up. I think those that's less brave than it is like, oh, you're lucky. Like your taste buds line up with like a good way of being. Whereas like the like my mom uh, gave up eating meat uh, at a certain point. Her dad was a butcher. Like, she still has, a like, a memory of, like, oh, like, the smell of, like, bacon or something. But she gave it up because at a certain point she was, like, it occurred to me what it was. And I couldn't do it anymore in principle. But it actually was, like, a a sacrifice because she had to give up eating a lot of things that she liked. And and I say this. I'm not, I'm not vegetarian, but I try to be sometimes. Like, I, I try to be as best I can because I know... Uh, I would rather be vegetarian than eat meat. It's just every now and then I'm just bad at it. You know, like it's just, mm-hmm. but I think, I think about bravery in a similar way and said that there probably are some people for whom very heroic acts come naturally. <laughs> and the thing that I do in my life that I think most people would falsely identify if they were trying to look at me and they'd say like, oh, what's brave about me? The thing that, I think someone might look at and say like, oh, you're very brave. You're that would be, I'm unafraid to get on a stage with no content and improvise in front of an audience. I don't consider that brave because for me, it doesn't make me nervous for someone else. That might be a very brave thing to do. And it might look like bravery because if someone was like, the show didn't happen, someone go out on stage, I would be like, fine, I'll go on stage and entertain the audience. Like, I'll, I'll just go talk. I mean, I would say I consider that brave because that is something that terrifies me and I would never do it. But, you know, Connor and other people are very good at it. And it does seem like it takes some effort, you know, to go out there and actually, like, put but on But you a have show. done it. You uh, have done it, Patrick, because the very first time I did the George Lucas talk show, uh, the person who was supposed to do the warm-up for the show, it was a very small little theater, wasn't able to make it. And I turned to Patrick and said, will mm-hmm. you do the warm-up? Patrick is not a stand-up comedian. He does not have material ready to go for an audience. And he did yeah. it. Were you scared when you did that? Um, yes, but I also knew most of the people in the audience, which makes it a little bit easier. I don't really like getting on stage and doing stuff. Um, I feel like the stuff that we've done during the pandemic is very easy because the only faces I need to see are Connor and Griffins and our guests. But if there were 150 people in front of me, I would not like to do it. But that was that was get ready for the pandemic then. Than... Maybe. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, no, I don't think I like doing it, but it was definitely one of those things. A lot of times, bravery, and this may not make sense, I don't know, but I'm going to say it. Bravery has been something that is forced upon you, where it's like, well, I got to do this. He said I have to do it, and I cannot get out of it. And that's okay. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's fine. You just do it because there's not much of a choice, and that was what that felt like. And I'm glad I did it. It was fun, but it was not something that I would want to do or probably would do again. You know, 
I also think like it's an interesting thing because as a performer, I think I'm less nervous when there's a group of people I don't know watching than when yeah. my friends or the people I recognize are in oh, the audience. Oh, interesting. interesting. So that's also like a, an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. I'm also vegetarian and I never considered that to be brave, even though I was a meat eater before I turned vegetarian and I still, when I smell meat, I'm, it smells so good. Yeah. Well, no, and I don't, I, I, I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's brave. I just, I was using that as my example for it means something yeah. more that you gave something up. And similarly, mm-hmm. I bet there are people who do things that I would from the outside define as very brave and heroic. And it's just, it's in their nature to be, to take certain risks and to not worry about those things. Mm-hmm. And that it's not that it makes the act less noble or heroic, but it might require less bravery for some people. Like mm-hmm. there, are, there probably are some people who are like, kind of like adrenaline junkies who it doesn't take anything away from their sacrifice, but they're actually having to like, it requires less, either they are just you, whether you want to define that as innate courage, it just, to me, it feels like they're not having to kind of like summon like an extra dose of like, when I think of bravery, the, the thing that I guess interests me is when it's doesn't come naturally and, and it feels like you're really having to go out on a limb to do something that you believe is mm-hmm. right. Which brings me to the next question, which is moments in your lives in which you have been brave, in which you have felt that thing. Or maybe like just been out of your comfort zone, if that's as much as you've been. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that I thought of, which I don't know in the grand scheme of things what the level of bravery is, but moving to New York was sort of a big thing because like a lot of the schools I applied to were close to my house. Um, and this is, you know, a few hours away and it's a big change. And I only knew like, I only really knew like one person in the city, maybe. And it was a, you know, it was a big move and I didn't know if I would like it. I thought I would, you know, I didn't know how long I would stay. And I, you know, it's going on 11 years at this point. So like, obviously it worked out, but in the, in the moment it was a, it was a scary thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Because, you know, every so often you have thought where it's like, oh, maybe I should move somewhere else. You know, maybe I should go check out something else. And it's like, yeah, but there's so many people here. Like, I don't want to leave this. And it's like, oh, well, you already did it once. <laughs> you already did it once. And Connor doesn't like hearing this. But I don't. I truly it don't. Is, it I is truly what don't. it is. I mean, I guess I have a similar thing in the sense that when I went to school in Liverpool, really, I was I was going to school in Missouri. Which I was in a town a half hour away from my hometown where I grew up. And I wasn't happy there, and I wasn't, I wasn't really thriving in their theater department. And I decided, in a, in a fit of pique, I was just out of spite. I decided I'm going to go somewhere better than this. I'm going to go anywhere else. And most places, application deadlines had passed, so I was going to have to, I'd have to like lose a semester, or lose a year, or something. And I just wanted to go someplace else right away. And I ended up applying to the Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, which was looking, it was opening up. It was Paul McCartney was opening this fame school. And I wrote away uh, to get information on it. And I ended up going to New York to audition and getting in and then deciding to go. Then realizing when I was actually flying to Liverpool for the first time, like, what have I done? Like, I've, I've gone from being a half hour from my home, which was kind of scary, to being like, I'm in another country in this, like, sort of depressing northern industrial town. Like, it, it, Liverpool, it, at the end of 1995 felt like a really scary place to me. Like the vibe of the town was not what I, what I was used to. Mm-hmm. And that is a big scary thing, you know? And then I got mugged like within a few months of being there, which was just like, I think deciding to keep 
staying there after that was there was a big party that wanted to just give up and, and get out of there, you know? Yeah. Did you feel it was brave at the time? I don't know, because I also felt like, well, I felt like I'd gotten myself into this mess and I didn't have any choice. Like, I felt like uh, I felt more stuck than brave. Like, I had to do it. Like, I had, otherwise I would have wasted all this time and money. I would have been like what should have been my junior year of college and I was basically starting over. And if I started over again, I would basically be graduating from college like three or four years after everyone else my age if I didn't do that. You know, I would have been having to start over from scratch, you know? So you just, I just felt trapped. So I, I don't know if, it, if that falls into my, I think I had to summon a lot of courage to get through it, but I don't, I just felt like I, it was a series of mistakes I made that led me to this place where I'm like, I have to stay here in this place where there was a period where I would walk around Liverpool and everybody looked like the people who mugged me because I, I couldn't quite remember them. And I was constantly thinking I was seeing the two guys who mugged me at knife point, you know, and it was very traumatizing. It took me a long time before I got over that experience, you know, where I, where I didn't find myself constantly. Like I remember watching the movie funny games and halfway through that movie, realizing that I was like re-experiencing uh, what I felt like when I got mugged. There was also, there's an episode of the show Dexter where halfway it feels like a normal episode. And then halfway through, you realize that, he, he, he like basically gets held hostage and this guy's going to kill him. It's a really well-structured episode of TV because it feels just like what it feels like to have a real life experience like that, which is that things are going normal. And then all of a sudden you're trapped in this horrible situation. And when I was watching that episode, I thought like, Oh, this is putting me right back in the mindset of when I was mugged in Liverpool. You know, again, I don't know that any of that applies to bravery. I didn't, you know, it just happened to me and I got through it. You know, it's more, you know, yeah. It's hard for me to isolate moments of bravery that qualify in my life. I thought of one that's just come to me, which is I was at a They Might Be Giants concert. It was at the Blue Note in Columbia. This is in high school. I was with a group of friends, and I thought, based on their records, that this was going to be a bunch of nice people being nice, listening to nice little songs. <laughs> they really leaned into the rockier side of their... like. They Basically, they saw that this crowd was ready to... like be excitable and they really leaned into it and a mosh pit basically formed and we were at the front we were you know we were standing there for an hour waiting for the concert to start and when they came out they just started playing really loud and aggressively in a way i had not expected and the crowd turned into a mosh pit and we were right in the middle of it and it was horrible it was really everyone was like violent and pushing and we were immediately like we have to get out of here this is Terrible, because we could also see in the balcony people were fine. In the balcony people were fine, but in the on the in the general admission area, it was just a thrush of people just pushing against, and it just felt violent. And so we made our way out of this mosh pit, and then we realized that one of us wasn't with us. We didn't know what to do because we're looking around. We're like, I think she's still in there. I said. I'm going to go back in and find her. And so I went. This is you. This is you going back in the burning this house. Is me. Yeah. And it yeah. probably sounds like a really stupid thing. But the last thing on earth I wanted to do was go back into this thing that I had just escaped from. Because also it felt like everyone was a few years older. It felt like it was college students being rough with us. And we were we were in high school. And I, <laughs> I like pushed my way back into this crowd, but I was like searching, which is like, imagine, imagine like walking into, like it wasn't designed organically 
Like I was a, I was like a foreign object in this, this mosh pit was all these people who collectively had decided they were going to aggressively like rub up against each other and jump around and lunge at every other person nearby. And I'm this like detective who's like, I'm trying to find my friend. It turns out she had left from the other direction. So I spent probably about 10 minutes just walking around, allowing myself to be sort of like pummeled and pushed through this crowd to try to find a friend. And then I gave up. I guess that's the cowardly part. I gave up after 10 minutes because I think I started to get the feeling maybe she's not in here. Did you ever yeah. find her? Did you <laughs> yeah, ever find her? Found her. She, she had gone up to the balcony with the rest of my friends and they were just watching oh. me go through the mosh pit from the balcony, <laughs> like trying to find her. Um, so that's some bravery. That's brave. That is like you did go into the burning building, but the other examples yeah. are situations like the one Patrick was saying before that it feels like you don't make the decision to be brave. Things just happen. Someone just tells you go on stage and perform. Yeah, you just have to. And it is bravery, but it's within a category of either like forced bravery. There's natural bravery, and then there's that special category which is like chosen bravery, where it's like you could choose to not do a thing and it would feel better, but mm -hmm. it would be the wrong. Yeah choice i mean i guess another another example and i th i think connor would back me up on this is when shannon asked me to start booking ASCAT at ucb i had never done that before i was like not a talent person i'd never like booked anything before and it was one of those things where she was like i think you'd like doing it and i feel like if i'd done it and i was bad at it it would have been very embarrassing because it was just in front of a bunch of friends and it just didn't turn out well. You know what I mean? So I like made that decision to be like, well, screw it. Let's try it and see how it goes. And I feel like that is also something that I say a lot when it comes to quote unquote brave things. It's just like, uh, screw it. We'll figure it out. Let's see how, you know, we'll see what happens. But I guess, yeah, I don't know why Connor made me think of that, but I guess that's maybe another thing. And it, you know, obviously like changed my life and has, has changed my career trajectory at that point. And that was a point when I didn't know what I was going to do or what I wanted to do. So I guess I guess that's that's yeah, brave, that's, that, that's a form of bravery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that we've been realizing through the episodes in this podcast is that whenever you try to push against something that's uncomfortable, mm -hmm. that takes you out of your comfort zone. Usually, there is some change to it that maybe changes your life and yeah. makes you realize something important for for your life yeah i've also been on a mosh pit once at a queens of the stone age concert it was like oh. a festival and i was waiting for pixies that were coming afterwards and i was in the front row waiting for pixies i really liked queens of the stone age as well <laughs> but the mosh pit started my friends left and i said no I'm staying because I want to be in the front row for Pixies. So I stayed alone, being elbowed and kicked. It was nice. W was it worth it? Yeah, I, I have Kim Deal's guitar pick. So Amazing. I think that was worth I it. I think that makes it worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never, I'm not like a concert guy, really. So I've never been in that situation. I've, Connor and I went to go see Paul Simon at a place in Queens. It was like an outdoor place. And I remember it being very crowded, but it never got rowdy because I feel like it was all like late middle-aged you know, people just like drinking their beers and like not really doing much. But I feel yeah. like that is like the most like concerty experience I've been to. All the other ones, it's like, yeah, we're just sitting in a chair watching Billy Joel. You know, it was not a, it was not an outdoor arena situation. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're fun. Hey, I mean, listen, if, if you're I, in the mood for it, <laughs> if I had the choice now, I'd go to as many concerts as you asked me to, you know? But, yeah. Yeah, oh well. On the other end of the spectrum, have you ever not done, done something for lack of bravery or oh, fear? Oh, constantly, all the time. 
<laughs> um, yeah, that's that's almost that's a harder one because it's like, oh, where what do I choose? Um, yeah, I feel like yeah. I I I, I want to try and think of a good example. I feel like I'm a very moderate person. I feel like in terms of like temperament, in terms of politics, I feel like I'm I'm a very like wishy washy left leaning person where. I, I'm always like, well, yeah, but on the other hand, and I'm always like trying to, trying to like look at like the big picture in a way that is not as, it, it leads towards like, well, I can see their point where it's sort of like it, it leads towards like compromise, and I'm trying to think of a a good example of me being really cowardly because I'm sure there, I feel like it's so infused into my personality that it's hard to isolate one. Can you think, Patrick, can you think of an instance where I've been really cowardly? Where you've been really cowardly? Yeah. Oh, geez. I don't know. I wonder if going to another one of your projects, the Dead Eyes podcast, I wonder if giving up on acting was yeah. one of those moments. Yeah, I mean, the premise of my podcast is based on me. Oh, I can, I can think of one thing that's it's cowardly. Uh, the, my podcast is about I was cast in Band of Brothers and then fired by Tom Hanks the day before I was supposed to film. And the, the podcast breaks down that situation in a lot of ways. And some of that involves, you know, thinking about like, oh, what if I said this in the room? What if I had, you know, there was an actor that we both knew in common that I could have mentioned because I just worked with them. And I sometimes think back to like, what if I'd just been a little bit more like confident in the room and said something like, you're not going to fire me, are you? Even something like that. Like, I wonder, I wonder, I've never even thought about it in those terms before, but just saying it out loud, what if when I'd gone into the room with Tom Hanks, I had just been like, Oh, geez, this is a nightmare. You're not going to fire me for having dead eyes, are you? I can't. Like, what can I do? You want me to make them? Want me to, you know, like now I feel like if somebody said um, you're about to get, lose an acting job, they think you have dead eyes. If I hadn't had that experience before, I feel like if I went to the room, I'd be like, oh, come on. Like, you can't. This is going to be a nightmare for me. I'm never going to stop thinking about this. You know, like, and I think I was definitely too scared to be that way with Tom Hanks. But now, of course, it seems completely rational. Like, yeah. I could have charmed him, maybe. I could have been like, hey, pal, listen, like, I've been watching movies since I was a kid. You can't do this to me. <laughs> like, if I'd said that, maybe he would have been like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, it's it's entirely possible to think, like, what if I just come in and work the room? But back then, I was too scared. I was also, when I was being an actor, I was more timid and, and frightened because I remember... You know, when you're an actor, you just get a call saying you have an audition. It's for this thing. And you don't have any say in it, really. Or you like you feel like you don't. And sometimes I remember there was a play and I thought this play's terrible. I read it and I was like, Ugh, it's awful. I don't want to do this play. But I was too scared to tell my agent I don't want to audition for this because I thought if I said that I get fewer auditions. I thought they would it would be me being difficult. So instead, what I would do is I, I went to the I went to like that audition and I kind of I didn't do a bad American accent, but my main advantage being an American actor in London is so I was auditioning for an American part. I would sound natural and then other, you know, like British actors would come in and they'd be working at the accent. So what I did was I I auditioned and I kind of made my American accent a little more a little more generic, where I sort of was reading everything in a way that felt like maybe somebody who was putting on an American accent. So then a British person comes in and they sound like this and it's kind of like, well, this guy's just as good as the real American. Because then I thought, they won't think I'm bad, but I won't get the part. It was just like a subtle enough thing. But that was like a very cowardly thing to do when I should have just said to my agent, I don't like this play. I don't want to, I wouldn't want to do it. And now I'll do that. Like I'll, every now and then my agents have like uh, in New York have 
sent me something and I've been like, if I really don't want to do it, I've been like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't even want to audition for it because I don't like this thing or I, I don't want to, you know, particularly recently there was like a thing last, I think August, it was like, it's going to film in New Orleans. It was right when like the headlines were like, New Orleans is spiking with COVID cases. And I was like, I don't even yeah. want to put myself on tape for this. I don't want to go to New Orleans right now, you know? But I don't think that's cowardly. It was cowardly for me to pretend to have a bad American accent. Oh, no, I'm saying. Oh, New yeah, Orleans no, that was thing. smart. That was that smart. was smart. Yeah, <laughs> that was brave. I'm saying that yeah. now if I'm going to say I'll just say to my agents, I think the cowardly yeah. thing would have been uh, well, the way I would have done it before is I would have pretended to go to New Orleans and then <laughs> hired someone in New Orleans to be me so that from all perspectives that like that, I would have gone to extensive <laughs> effort to make it seem as if I had done the audition, but not actually done it, you know? Uh huh trying to think of cowardly stuff on my end i feel like it was a lot it's similar to connor where it's just like if i see that there's a job up that i i would like but i'm too nervous to uh put myself into it because i think i would not do a good job i feel like that is probably one of the big things it's just one of those things where it's like yeah i would love to do this but i know i would make a fool out of myself even if that's not the case that's probably i'm sure i'm a thousand percent sure there are other things i'm just not i'm not i'm not good at uh you know pinpointing what they are specifically i'm bad at like looking back at my life and being like oh that was a cowardly thing that was a brave thing that was a smart thing that was a dumb thing um it all just blends together and i just lump it all into one big dumb thing i thought of a good cowardly thing i did i was i i thought of a good cowardly thing and i thought of a, a pretty good brave thing too but this cowardly wow. thing is good because it's like something you would dramatize in a in a film or TV show. And I'm going to name names, even though they uh, maybe that's a bad thing. I'm going to name names <laughs> just because they're vivid names. And I'm the only one who comes across looking bad in this. So when I was in grade school, there was a kid named. He was like the toughest kid in school. Maybe he was, maybe he yeah. wasn't. But we all thought he was. He was in a couple of grades ahead of us. And he just seemed like a real tough guy. And there was another there was another kid named yeah. who I was friends with at the time. And. <laughs> I got into some argument with about something and I found myself backed into a corner in terms of where I was losing the argument. And my comeback to him was, oh yeah, well, I heard he wants to beat you up. Not true. This is not true. This is like telling someone that like Dracula was coming for them. It was just like a mythical character. It was like, and I said, well, I heard wants to beat you up and completely surprised me. This is an act of bravery in his part. He walked across the playground, the asphalt paved playground to where was. And I was like, oh no, this has backfired. I was probably in fourth or fifth grade at this point, I think. So I'm like a little kid and I'm watching as young walks all the way across to where who was playing kickball. And I see him go up to and he says something to him and I see big gestures from like what what are you talking about he's saying something to him and he basically ringing true saying i heard you want to beat me up what who are you like like had no idea then i see them <laughs> talking and it gets a little heated and then it starts to calm down as they start to realize and then they both look over at me and he like points at me mm-hmm. and then i watch <laughs> and all of his friends walk across the playground to where i am i'm just like what have i done <laughs> what have i done i really think it's over for me and I immediately admit to everything. I said, I lied about, I felt like I was losing the argument and I lied and I made it up and it's not true. And he's like, why are you telling people I want to beat them up? And I was just like, I, I'm sorry, I got scared. And I said, I'm willing to give you my Popeye record and I'm willing to give you my Mighty Mouse record. I immediately was just like, bought, I bought their, which to them, they were like, okay. I don't know how invested anyone was in beating me up. 
You know what I mean? I was yeah. the only one who yeah. had mentioned that it was even a possibility that anyone wanted to beat anyone up. They were just <laughs> angry that I had lied about it. But in my in my mind, I was like, I'm going to give them some of my possessions. So I set to... <laughs> I have a Popeye record that you can have. And I said, I have a Mighty Mouse record that you can have. And they were like, okay, bring him to school tomorrow. I'm like, okay. I went home that night and I got my Popeye record and I got my Mighty Mouse record. And I remember being so depressed that this is all my fault. I had no one else I could be upset with except myself because not only had I caused it, but I was also, I so immediately offered up my possessions that I'm like, I'm having to give these away. They didn't say like, you have to give us something to make this right. I just was like, I'm buying my way out of this. You just surrender before you had to. Yeah, yeah. I'll say this about Yeah. Apparently, still lives in Jefferson City, and there was a fatal crash a few years ago that he took pictures of and shared on the news channel's Facebook page. He thought it was a thunder clap, but it was in fact a car crash. That's what I found I mean, I, I remember nothing else about them as people other than their role in that story and their plan. You know, I remember I was friends yeah. with I didn't really know except he was an older kid that at least in our grade, you know, that, that happens where you have like kids who are, have a presence yeah. a few years ahead of you where they kind of become for some reason, like a celebrity in your grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they do both have great names. Vivid for, names. Uh, like those are, yeah. those are, those are yeah. the reason I name names is not to in any way impact their affect their privacy now or their, their lives. It's just that <laughs> you couldn't make up names better than those for the, for that story. <laughs> You did say you remember yes. the brave moment. And this is a moment. this is a principled brave moment, which is I grew up in Jefferson City, Missouri, which is uh, the capital of Missouri. I did cartoons when I was in high school, and uh, sometimes I do cartoon things for money. I draw cartoons for money, and somehow I think it was a state senator. He knew that I drew cartoons, and he called me in. I know it was, it was when I was like maybe 16 or 17 because I remember driving and parking. But I, he called me in to come to his office in the Capitol to talk about a job opportunity. And it was at a point where, you know, you, you reach a point where like I found it hard to find summer jobs and I found it hard to make money. Like it was one of those things where it's like anything that could make you a few hundred dollars was a big deal. It, you know, it was like mm -hmm. a few hundred dollars meant like you could really like buy something that you liked. You could buy records or you could, you know, go to the movies more or whatever. I met with this guy and he said, I have this idea and I want to hire you to draw some stuff for this campaign I want to do. And it was going to be like, I think it was going to be like $500. It might've even been close to a thousand dollars. I remember it was like more money than I would have gotten for any one thing. If I was working in a summer job, it would have taken me weeks and weeks to make the amount of money that he was offering me. It was right when like sort of smoking bans were becoming a thing and no smoking legislation was starting to happen around more places. And he wanted me to draw these little signs that when someone came up and said, I'm sorry, there's no smoking here. It would be signs that smokers would hold up that would say, I think it was like no talking or no. It was it was something that it was supposed to be like he'd print up all these signs for smokers. I remember thinking, A, that it was it was something dumb like that. It was something like no talking. Where I was like, wait, so someone's going to carry around a sign with them just so they can rather than just say a comeback. They'd be like, whoop, and hold up a little sign like like Wiley e. Coyote holds up a little sign because he can't talk. It was supposed to be like a, a, a grassroots campaign to stop the anti-smoking efforts. It was going to be really easy money. He just wanted me to draw this little thing. And I said to him, yeah, I said, I can't do that. I just don't agree with it. I don't like it. Like, <laughs> I, I just had to tell yeah. him, like, 
I actually think that it's a health issue that I don't think this helps with. Like, I think it's like people are addicted to cigarettes. And I started like talking to him about, and I, and I, and it was like, he was a stranger, but it was like picture being in like a state Senator's office basically looks like what you see in movies. When you go into like a Senator's office where it's very big and real, it's in the Capitol building. And I remember thinking at the time, like, I don't want to say all this. I don't want to be talking to this guy who feels like, like, I don't agree with this guy politically, but I, I, I remember thinking, A, I'm having to turn down a lot of money and I'm having to tell this guy why in a way that feels uncomfortable to me at that age and at that time. I had never been in a position where I was having someone just saying to me, like, why don't you just, you know, it'll be like, why don't you want to do this? And I remember thinking... As I was doing this, like, I wish I was anywhere else but having this conversation and that it would be yeah. so easy to just draw the thing and no one would know that I had drawn it and I would just get the money. But I was like, I can't do that. Like, I don't feel right about it. And I think that qualifies. I think that meets my standard, because when I think back to it, I remember thinking it's really hard to say no to this money because I knew I could go home. I could draw it real quick and then I'd have like five hundred dollars where I, I I think it was more than 500 because I remember being like, this is the kind of money that you could like buy either a lot of little stuff with or like one big thing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to put that on the board. And of course I'll also, as a caveat, so it doesn't seem like I'm boasting, I'll do anything for money now. I'll do absolutely (laughs) anything for money now. If anyone out there has something, if anyone out there has an opportunity for something unsavory, uh, I, I, I am available. Uh, uh, I will do it. Not really, but, uh, (laughs) But I do feel like it would be even harder for me now in some ways yeah. for some stuff. I actually thought of something while Connor was talking. It it sparked a memory in my head of something that at the time I was like, oh, I'm being brave. And now I'm like, why'd you do that? You look dumb. In high school, when I was graduating from high school, the few years before I was graduated, like the, you know, the year before, the year before that, and the year before that, they would hold the high school's graduation. This was a public high school at this big, like... It's not a mega church, but it was like a big church. It was great because it was like air conditioned. It was inside. You could bring as many family and friends as you wanted. Whereas if we graduated at the public high school, you know, there you only got a certain amount of tickets for family and it, it was hot and you were inside and like sweating like crazy and stuff. So we would always go and play for the band there. We'd be like the band that would play the, dun, 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 you know, the graduation theme song. It's coming up. It's probably March or something. And we're graduating in June. And all of a sudden we start hearing rumblings that some parents have trouble with graduating in this church. They don't want their kids to graduate in the church. And at the time, my little brain didn't comprehend that. And it was like, but why not? Like, this place is great. They'll cover up all the, you know, the crosses and stuff. Like, it's air conditioned. This is the perfect deal in the world. So we, meaning a couple friends of mine and I, made a big stink about it. Where we were like, I have a lot of family coming from out of town. They're, you know, this is the only way they're going to be able to see it. We, like, spoke at a board of ed meeting. We, like, went on the news and talked about it. Like, the ACLU got involved. Like, people were suing the town and stuff. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. I understand why you wouldn't want to graduate in a church. I would totally be on that parent's side. But at the time, it was like, oh, no, we're definitely we're definitely right because this is just an overall better experience. And I should say, when we did have graduation, it was in the gymnasium. 
and multiple people passed out because it was so hot. But I still feel like it was probably the right move to not have it in a church because 2021 Patrick uh, would have been mad if he was graduating in a church. Yeah. No. Not great. Not great. And I did. I did. Oh, God. When they called me up, my parents went to high school with the mayor. So they were always like friends with him through my whole life. And he always said that I was going to take over for him. He was like, I'm going to be mayor until you're old enough and then you can run and you can be mayor. And I was always like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. That sounds awesome. So he was like, I'm going to give, I'm going to hand him his diploma. They would like switch out if you knew someone who was up on the stage from like the town council or whatever. So he hands me the diploma. I turn and face the crowd and I do the sign of the cross thing and I'm wearing, (laughs) and I'm wearing rosary. Oh God, Patrick. (laughs) Oh no. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Kept your guns. Yeah, I did. I <laughs> All did. All the way through. <laughs> I did. I, it just made me think of, I'm having an easier, I thought I was gonna not going to be able to think of brave things, and now I'm having a hard time thinking of the cowardly things. I think because I'm so ashamed yeah. of them that I probably, um, <laughs> mostly just because this is an example of uh, I, 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 horrible high school memories. There was a club in my school during, when I was in high school, they started this club that I think originally was called African American Culture Club. The, the name kept changing, but it ended up being like controversial for reasons that if you've ever been on Twitter, whenever there's any sort of uh, nice holiday celebrating anything, then you, you'll you'll often then start blocking the accounts that start saying, when is it Men's History Month? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So there were, there were some factions within the school that started saying things like, how come there's not a white culture club, et cetera. And there was an assembly. And again, I don't know how much of this in my memory. I remember there was a, the, the culture club had a, a school assembly that there started being some controversy about where white students were saying their, their parents were going to take them out of school because this was like a waste of school time. They didn't want to be there for the culture club assembly. And there was a rumor that got started that kids, and this was before the days of school shootings. Uh, this was in the blissful era pre-Columbine where uh, this was just a scary idea rather than something that was a regular occurrence. There was talk that various factions within the school, students were going to be bringing guns to shoot up the assembly. And one rumor that I heard that still the image lives in my nightmare because you would hear like, uh, oh, the white kids are going to bring guns to school. The black kids are going to bring con- guns to school. There, you were, there was just perpetuating this idea that like this assembly was going to be a nightmare. And one, I, one thing that I heard, and this was the my my fear that played on my head, was that. And then there were people saying like, well, now parents are taking their kids out of school because they don't feel safe because there's this, these rumors that something's going to happen. And the rumor that I heard was that some kids were going to bring a Confederate flag, a huge one, and drape it over the audience. So imagine you're sitting in the bleachers in the auditorium and someone in the back row whips out a giant Confederate flag and spreads it over the top of the whole section of the audience. That was the thing that someone was supposedly planning to do during this assembly. And my nightmare was that I'd be sitting in the front row so that when I like peek out from under the flag, I'd be like the face of it. Like just because this flag was draped over me. And I thought like, oh no, I'm going to be like caught in the crossfire of this disastrous assembly what ended up happening was it was shockingly poorly attended as an assembly like a bunch of people just like skipped or got out of it or something but i remember feeling like i want to go to this assembly just 
the principle of it was like, I, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to be here at this assembly despite the rumors of these things because I felt like this club is like a good idea for the school. It's like a positive thing for the students who are a part of it. And the assembly was really nice. It was a sad sort of metaphor for like, you looked out and it felt like it was half the students had were not there. It, it might have been 40% or 60%. I don't know what the numbers were, but I remember thinking like, this is not what an assembly normally looks like. Like a noticeable chunk of students weren't there. And the assembly was so much better than every other assembly we'd ever had. Because normally the assemblies are just about like, there's a football game tonight. And they're just like telling everyone to go to the football game. And and this was like not where people like there were performances and people gave speeches. And it was actually a really nice time. And I remember thinking, well, a lot of people missed out on this. But I felt glad that I had been one of the people who showed up. Even knowing that during the assembly, I kept looking back thinking like if the first sight of someone whipping out a Confederate flag, I'm going to get out of the way. I don't want to be anywhere near that fucking flag. (laughs) And this leads me to another memory. And this one I think is probably my bravest moment in high school, maybe. But it was casual bravery. Maybe it doesn't count because I remember feeling confident. There was some incident somewhere where like a, a high school student had committed suicide and it led to... The school having a response where we started having homeroom every month. Once a month, they'd cut 10 minutes out of every class of the day that would create a free hour that we could have homeroom. So the intent was to help teenagers so that you wouldn't feel alone, so that you'd have a support system. Very noble intent, very badly executed by the the school system. Because basically the curriculum was like, let's talk about hot button issues and get the dialogue going. In one hour, once a month. My homeroom teacher was a very bright, you know, she was like an honors English teacher. She was a nice lady and very smart. But this exercise we had to do was let's talk about very like divisive issues and whatever, yes or no, whatever side of the issue you stand on, you go stand on one side of the room or the other. And I remember this hour where it was just issue after issue where they'd say, well, do you believe this or this? And I would go to one side of the room and it would be me and the teacher on one side of the room and literally everyone else on the other side of the room. It was things like the question I remember was, do you think that uh, gay people should be allowed to have normal jobs like teachers or doctors or police officers or in the military it just listed all of the jobs and I was like, well, of course. So I go to that side of the room. And as I'm going to that side of the room, I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'm on this side of the room. This is a great place to be as a teenager. And we're being angry because also I was like, well, I know that the dumb people on the other side of the room think this means that I am gay. But I know that there are any gay person who was actually in that room was smart enough to know like, nope, I'm going to stand on this side of the, I'm not going to stand on that side. But I remember being like, angry that this was happening because I knew I wasn't the only one. Yeah. I knew there were people who agreed with me, but that they were too frightened. I don't know why I was like that. Cause I don't feel like I was that I, I don't identify as a brave person, but when I think about that, I just didn't want to stand on that side of the, I was very confident in what I believed in at that age. And I was so angry at feeling so on the outs with what I felt like the place I grew up with believed. Like I felt like I was so in the minority opinion wise that it made me angry because I also felt like I had thought about it more than those kids had. Yeah. So that would be my, that would be my high school moment of bravery. I'm going to put that number one brave thing I did. 
braver than me. When you started the question saying, should gay people, I thought you were going to finish, uh, get married, because that's a discussion nope. that a lot of people have. No. But no, just just having real jobs. It, is, it, it was uh, so okay. far beyond, because it wasn't even like gays in the military, which was like a, a hot button issue at the time. It was like, it, it was like a list of, re- of just regular jobs that didn't have any, con- like it was going beyond what the normal prejudices of the day even were. It was such yeah. a horrifying question. You know, I'm sure things have gotten better, but also plenty of things are exactly the same now as they were then. We, a lot of the same stupid stuff is still floating around in the conversation as it was back in, that would have been like 1991, yeah. I think. So I was just a glint in my parents' eyes. I came along <laughs> and everything got better. And now we're a fine society and everything's okay. Patrick did something brave recently that we can't even talk about. That's like it's a, it's just like a complete. It would be a completely inappropriate. I want to I want to say it on the record that it's it can't it is completely off the record that Patrick did something that I was like Patrick I think that was really brave of you and he's like yeah but we can't talk about it so I'm just gonna vouch for it I'm that sorry. like Patrick did something yeah. I was like this is brave and uh, we can't discuss yeah. it I wish I could think of more cowardly things because I think those are more interesting to chew upon and I know I've got them yeah let me think if there's any other cowardly things that immediately pops to mind i mean anytime i've ever broken up with someone <laughs> that's been a cowardly thing but why, why is it cowardly because because oh, i'm not good at broken it up with them or because you no i mean it was definitely you know obviously it's usually the right thing to do for either one of yeah. you but i'm just not good at it so i usually handle it wrong and then it uh and then it becomes a cowardly thing. I'm just thinking of breaking up with my therapist, and oh, I sure. was going to do it this morning, and I couldn't. So oh I wow, how, <laughs> I how think do you? That's I mean, not brave. here's the thing. Now we're now this is all we're going to talk about. How how <laughs> are you going to go about doing that? I don't know. It's really hard because I haven't been doing therapy for that long. Yeah. And I think this particular one is not working for me and I was looking for something else. So I will have to tell her that sure. in, in a session. And I thought today, I thought I'm going to wait till like 15 minutes to the end of the session. So it won't, I won't say it at the start and then yeah. we have to stay here for an hour and it will be really awkward. Then I just couldn't bring myself to tell her. Yeah. So I'm, I'm considering just emailing her superior to say i don't want to do this anymore yeah yeah that's the coward way out (laughs) i don't know how it works financially as far as everyone's got a different setup with therapists but isn't like the the best way to break up with them at the start of a session so that then the session ends and then they're like hey free Mm. session like they get a free hour that they got paid for the bad news is i'm breaking up with you as my therapist the good news is you now have like 56 minutes paid for nothing yeah you can do what you want for the rest of the hour that's that's a good point it's a little bonus for them (laughs) but why would you do that connor why not just call them ahead of time so then you don't need to pay them i don't know i was just thinking like if you feel bad about it it's like here's a little uh gift on a little parting gift you know (laughs) and you get 57 minutes of your day back yeah but it's also not only like the reason yeah i think a therapist will be okay with a yeah. patient breaking up with them it's yeah. just the moment the awkward moment of having to say it totally that is yeah. hard for me yes i think the best way to think about it is you're not the first person to do it and you won't be the last person you know what i mean yeah they'll be fine even though it's weird and uncomfortable and not fun. I wish I had something. I'm trying to trigger memories in my brain of times where I've done something and then run away. Because I feel like those would be those would be the prime. Like, I'm trying to sort out, when are moments when I've been running really fast? But I, what I'm finding is it's mainly just times when I've been scared. And it's not moments of cowardice, you know? I wish I had something like, if I'd been part of, like, the insurrection on January 6th, 
And I'd be like, oh, this is, I have a good story. I broke into the Capitol. Connor saying if. <laughs> Connor saying if. <laughs> oh, I scaled the Capitol and then I ran off. <laughs> that would be a great. How could I have forgotten? <laughs> trying to think of like moments where I felt great fear and seeing if like those were moments of cowardice. But oftentimes they were either just legitimate moments where I was right to be afraid or there are moments of like insecurity where I was like irrationally afraid of something, but it, it's not cowardice. Have you ever been nervous interviewing somebody, Connor, or meeting somebody like at, at, at a show or something? Not, no, 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 no. I mean, like, you know, I've been nervous. It's not something that I would put in a like performing stuff to me is just fun. Yeah. I mean, other times I'll see people take certain stands and I'll feel like, oh, yeah, I, I wish I did stuff like that. Like last summer, I was at my parents' house in Missouri. Both my parents are, are in the at-risk group. My dad is immunocompromised. And my focus was really on just making sure they were safe during the pandemic. That was that was what I was focused on. But I was watching, obviously, like all the coverage of people in New York and the marches and the protests. And I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder if I would... Because I was very worried for everyone, thinking there didn't seem to be any spike from, from the Black Lives Matter protests. But I was very concerned about it. I was worried for everybody that I'm like, this is happening during like this health crisis. And I was worried that people were going to go out and do this and then get... Because I wasn't near any of the action, I was trying to think in terms of like, would I have gone out and been a part of it if I'd been in New York at that time? And I'm not... I'm not someone who is generally good with big crowds. I don't like parades. I don't like rallies. I don't like outdoor concerts. Like, I don't like when there's too many people at a thing. It makes me very anxious. But there's a part of me that wonders, like, I don't know whether I would have been able to get up the courage to go out and be part of the marches physically. I probably would have been staying in my apartment and trying to do things digitally or virtually to try to help out what I could. But mm -hmm. that's just a thing that I look at other people because it was also true pre-pandemic where there were like protests in the early days of the Trump administration that I'd see people like going to protests like the Muslim ban and stuff like that. And it's just it's a thing that gives me anxiety. I don't I'm not inclined to be a part of a physical protest. It just frightens me too much. I get too worried about it. Yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, the pandemic does exacerbate that. And also, like, maybe levels of police brutality or violence that were increased through these latest protests, I, I guess. Maybe I, I wasn't just paying attention before. Yeah. yeah, I'm also not a I'm not a protest guy. I'm fine with bigger crowds. You know, I feel like Connor and I have different takes on Comic-Con where, like, I don't hate it necessarily, even though there's a lot of people. Um, whereas I feel like Connor's always, you know, whenever we've gone... It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of people. Yeah. And it's not yeah. fun. And, and it's it always, me, it, makes uh, me very anxious. it does. Yeah. And, and as the years have gone on, I've gotten more anxious about it because I'm like, it's kind of crazy that we've gotten away with the Comic-Con being okay and not had a major issue for so long. And I think about that a lot now, but protests are tough for me too. I always say I'm going to go to one, not necessarily during this because I haven't left my house in a year, barely at all. But like before, you know, with the March for Women, oh. is that what it was called? Women's March. The Women's March. The Women's March, March. The women's yeah. March yeah. Patrick. Don't cancel me guys. The Women's <laughs> March. Like I, I wanted to go to that, but then like Going to a, a large gathering like that with so many people did give me a lot of anxiety, so I didn't end up going. And it is something that I feel bad about not going to, which I, I you know, that is a, that's a cowardly thing, I guess. Putting the question onto you, Patrick, yeah. do you feel nervous when you are trying to get a big name to guests? 
at the George Lucas talk show or when Ascat yeah. is still around. Yeah, yeah, it's more of a like it, it's rare that a show does not go pretty well at least. But it definitely makes you nervous, you know, on the off chance that people are just having a, a bad night or like, you know, the audience isn't in the mood to laugh or whatever. Yeah. When you get someone that you really like and respect and you're like, oh, man, I just want them to have fun. That's all that matters. So they'll like me and like us and stuff. It's definitely it's a nerve wracking thing. If someone shows up and they're not in a great mood, that's always something where I'm like, well, you got to just step up and you still got to like put more than the best foot forward to try to like turn them around. And that is something that I, I guess is like in the smallest amount brave. Just being like, you got to figure this out because they're not happy to yeah. be here for some reason. And you don't know why. And there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, it you know, obviously I like doing it and stuff. But it is, it's a stressful gig sometimes, especially when it's people that you really have looked up to for a long time. Or, you know, just want to put the, the best impression forward in front of them yeah is there anything coming up in your futures i'm trying to use <laughs> the plural it's the first time uh, <laughs> that you will have to be brave for uh yeah stepping out of the house for the first time <laughs> uh, i'm getting i'm getting my shot tomorrow my second shot so that's something i mean like obviously i'm not scared about it but it is something where i'm like I might be sick this weekend. I might not feel good this weekend. We have a show on Sunday. I don't know how I'm going to be feeling. So it is something where it's just like, yeah, let's just get it done and get it out of the way. And Connor and I have not spoken about that. I do. We have a show on Sunday. I might be out of commission. We'll find no, out. No, you'll be, you'll be in commission. Know. Okay. All right. That's probably the next big thing for me. Connor, what about you? I don't know if I have any bravery opportunities or, or cowardice opportunities coming up. I guess the thing, one thing is like, when am I going to start riding the subway again? Because I had the Johnson Johnson vaccine uh, last Saturday. So I should be good to go in another uh, week or so in terms of obviously I'll still wear a mask. Obviously, I'll still be taking precautions. Yeah. But I feel like that's one of the things that I can do is travel a little bit more freely because as long as I'm taking the still taking the precautions to distance and wear a mask, I just another layer that I think public transportation at some point is going to be an mm -hmm. option again. And my question, I guess, is when am I going to make that step? Is that something I'm going to do a month from now, two months from now? Like, when am I going to get back on trains and buses, you know? Because I am a little, I'm a little anxious. Yeah. I hear things about the MTA One of the things that makes New York City feel safe is that everybody's out and about. Once you reduce that and it's not everybody's out and about, it's just a question of what is the balance of one of the reasons that like you'll be on a subway train and someone might get on and start screaming about something without a mask. That's something that feels very different if you feel like you're on a reduced capacity train line mm -hmm. and there's still this virus going around. It's just different different factors are in play. So that's the thing I'm anxious about, that at some point I'm going to have to make a, an informed decision on when I'm going to like shift back to that. And then obviously, I, I mean, there's a lot of these bigger societal decisions. Like a year ago, I very quickly came to the realization that it was going to be at least a year and maybe more until you could perform in front of a live audience again i'm only now reaching the point where now i'm thinking like well i wonder if it's in the next year i wonder if there. i wonder if some sort of adjusted version of live in-person performance like i did have the thought recently that like i haven't done a lot of like zoom improv over the course of the past year part of the reason for that is that like you have your improv team and you're all in little square boxes which is fine for something weird like the george lucas talk show which sort of re redesigned itself yeah. to be a live stream show but improv is a very different thing but now there's a part of me that thought like 
oh, if I get to the point where my entire improv team has been vaccinated, maybe we can do a show where we are all in a room together and the audience watches on the, you know, like maybe there's a, a version of that. Yeah. Maybe that's the next thing. I don't know. But figuring out, like, that's the thing that I'm anxious about. The, ne- the next time that I do a show in front of a live audience is going to be uh, a, a surreal and kind of scary thing. And I'm not used to feeling scared in a performing context. I think the, the, the good thing to frame that with is that everyone will likely be feeling the same. Everyone yeah. on stage and everyone yeah. in the audience. Well, yeah. except for the people who've been not changing their behavior during the whole pandemic. will be like, oh, I've just been waiting for more yes. different yeah. kinds of shows. I've been going to the movies, been going to the theme parks. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> What's been going on? Why haven't yeah, I where'd been everybody, Where'd everybody yeah. go? <laughs> what have you been doing for yeah. the last year? Yeah, yeah there'll be people who's like, I've been going to IMAX films. I've been doing everything. I went to Disney World five <laughs> times. The box office was supposed to open at 10 a.m. I've been here since last March. What's going on? Yeah, um, there'll always be that forty percent of the audience that's just like, I never went anywhere. You guys took the shows away. Uh. I did have someone tell me the other day. I put a photo on Twitter and they asked me why I was wearing a mask. Oh, Come on, oh, where boy. have you been? Oh, boy. What? Here's what I would do if uh, someone did that to me. I would block that person. I would immediately block yeah. them. It's something that I truly don't understand because whilst someone not wearing a mask means that you are at risk. Me wearing a mask has no sort of effect on you, so why do you care? It's like if I was wearing a hat. Was this someone that you knew well? No. Uh, Someone I've met once. Do you think you'll meet them again? Hmm. Probably not, and I didn't think that before, but it was interesting because she did answer my tweet a bunch of times and deleted a bunch of the comments while she was writing, and in in one of them she said, I really liked you before this. Wow. Okay. Now you don't like me because I wear a mask oh, no. with little smiley bananas. Why? Wow, I really don't like this person. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think you gotta just uh, cut them out, right? That feels like yeah. uh, you, yeah. you're all done. My first instinct was to answer and try to to have a conversation, right? I have a master's in biochemistry, so I have like a basis in science that I thought maybe if I, since you like me, maybe I can make you understand science. Oh, wow. And then also, I, I gave, I quickly gave up. I, I did find the tweet. <laughs> what, di- what date so, was it? I mean, I don't want to say this on the All podcast, right. do I? <laughs> also cool. fascinating. I'll say this. In their bio, it does say I heart science. And one of the okay. doughboys follows her. What a mess we're in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, I'm on this person's timeline. They're a true nightmare. Uh, 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 just a, an absolute true nightmare. Yeah, I'm going to block this person. They'll never know I existed. Yeah, I'm also going to do yeah. that. I'll tell you something, and this might be defined in some ways as cowardice, but I think it's maintenance, which is when I see someone on social media that I don't like, and they have, they maybe will have no idea that I exist and maybe never will. I will not only block them from my Twitter, I will block them from the George Lucas Talk Show's Twitter and from the Dead Eyes Twitter. <laughs> now, it may be that they never will come across those things, but I just want to prevent them from ever ever even happening upon someone they know retweeting something and them coming to find it or like it. Because I'm just like, to me, it's just like you're you're maintaining your lawn. You're just cutting the weeds. You're mowing the grass. You're just getting rid of the pathway for any unpleasantness. Mm-hmm. I just don't want this person to come anywhere into my orbit. And they probably never would. But let's just make sure. Let's just make that little extra, that extra little deadbolt. Because there's so many people in the world 
And as someone who tries to do things that are entertaining, there are just some people I don't wish to entertain. People who are actively making the world an uglier place that I, uh, you know, there are plenty of people that are kind and good who uh, deserve to enjoy things. And I don't want to accidentally entertain someone who who I think is making the world an uglier place. Yeah. Bring our minds to people who we do like. Is there someone real or fictional, like a famous person or just someone from your own life that you would use as an example of bravery? Ooh. Interesting. It's interesting to think about because obviously we could name people who are like known iconic heroes and people who fight for the right causes and make the world a better place. I'm trying to think of like mm-hmm. small examples There's sometimes there were like a brave decision is also just the smart decision. Like sometimes they overlap. Mm. I don't know whether this might be a dumb thing to even bring up, but I feel like it hasn't been talked about in this context because and I might be wrong about this because it could just be that it's good business or it's smart. Don't say Donald Trump. Don't say he's a smart businessman. Look at all the buildings that have his name on them. (laughs) No, no, I was thinking about because and this is in some ways a a non issue in terms of the outrage that's brought up. But I was thinking about like the. The decision by the Dr. Seuss people to take a small selection of their books and not keep them in print because there's no real way to adjust them or adapt them. And they've fallen out of what's uh, appropriate. The, the times have changed. and The culture has changed. And this has been a big sort of fake issue that conservatives have been like moaning about for the past month. But I think there is something brave about people owning up to like mistakes Rather than pushing back and saying, no, 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 he's this revered cultural hero. He did everything right. I think there's something about being willing. Because, like, another person that I put in this category, I think, like, Sarah Silverman, I think, that is a comedian who, in her early years, she's obviously, like, a talented and, and brilliant person. But in recent years, she's sort of owned up to, like, jokes that she made and things that she did early in her career that... Rather than doubling down and saying, no, it's just a joke and everything I ever did was funny and here's why I did it. To be willing to say, not everything that I do holds up and think about why that is and talk about why that is and figure out a way to be funny while still trying to improve what you're doing and who you are. Like to to roll with the the progress of the times rather than dig in. Because I feel like there's a lot of people in comedy whose response is like, I'm not going to be cowed by this. You know, or they'll be like, oh, yeah, try being funny in this day and age. And I'm like, no, actually, yeah, try. Like, just work a little harder and try yeah. being funny. Like, do you think you can do it? I like that Sarah Silverman's approach has been to actually put some thought into, like, you may have had a very, very solid comedic reason. In the same way that, like, you know, there's things that Lenny Bruce did in comedy that at the time were progressive choices that if you just listen to his routine now, you're like, well, that doesn't hold up. Like, you can't say that now. It wouldn't have the same meaning. Like, the context has changed. Because so much of comedy is what is funny in this context right now. It's hard to adapt to a new context in the same way that it's hard getting older. It's hard being a person in the world. But if you're really funny, you'll figure out a way or you won't. But those are the those are the two mm-hmm. options. I feel like there's a lot of people in comedy who, when the times start to change, rather than thinking, oh, is there a way for me to, like, be a good person and remain funny? And I feel like there are some comedians who, like, no. And I, I think that I think it <laughs> takes some bravery to be willing to admit that work that you might even have some pride in. You look back on it and think, no, that that doesn't work. 
Uh, I don't stand behind everything I've ever done in comedy. I think there are things, um, especially in the nature of the comedy that I do, where, where so much of it is in the moment. You know, sometimes you'll just say something and you're trying it and then you immediately realize the words are out of your mouth and you're like, ooh, I shouldn't have said that. I was trying something and it didn't work. And you need to be able to know that and own it and learn from it. Most of the headlines about Dr. Seuss have been about how outraged conservatives are pretending to be, most of whom have only the most casual knowledge of what his actual career was like. Yeah. I would guarantee that if you put me in a conversation with any politician or political pundit who has been mad about Dr. Seuss, if you put me on camera with them for 10 minutes, I would very quickly be able to reveal the lack of depth of their knowledge of the career of Ted Geisel. Yeah, and many who are being willfully obtuse on the situation in general, where it's like, you guys know that they're not taking the cat and the hat out of publication. Like, stop being... You've never read any of these books before, and even the ones that they're like, well, look at me read this book right now. There's nothing wrong with One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. And you're like, well, yeah, they're not trying to get rid of yeah, that. Yeah, read McElligot's Pool, like, you jerk. Not, what are, <laughs> uh, but I, I actually think that... And in some ways, this is the smart... That's why I'm saying, like, the Seuss organization making this decision, it is both the correct decision and it's also the smart decision because they're deciding that these old books are going to, like, try to find a, a, a context in which they make sense in a completely new century rather than being stuck in this, like, no, no, these are sacred texts. They cannot be adapted, not even for children, you know? Obviously, there are a lot of people who are just pretending to be outraged about it. But I do actually think that that's, it's brave to be willing to say, yes, we are this organization. We are, we stand behind this man, but we don't stand behind everything he ever did. And nor should we, and nor, nor would he, if he was still around. A lot of the, a lot of these people who will pretend that his work is this sacred thing that cannot be adapted or touched or whatever. If he was still alive, he would be adapting and modernizing and trying to roll with the times just like anybody else uh, of good conscience, you know? Someone that I thought of on the day of uh, this Justice League release is, uh, you know, Ray Ray Fisher, who's like spoke out and is like trying to make things better for a lot of people in the entertainment industry when things are tough for a lot of people. I think it's important to listen to things that people say like that because that's a really hard thing and who knows where his career is going to go after this you know after making raising a stink rightfully so but I, th- I find that very admirable and very courageous and something that should be applauded and not mocked like a few people I feel like are doing online which is a bummer but that's someone yeah. that I you know I, I look up to him and who know you know we don't obviously know the whole story but it seems like it was the right thing to do uh, and it seems like it hopefully will make changes at those companies. Every little bit. Yeah. I don't know if every little bit helps. That's uh, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Everyone that tries to, to change things is doing it from a good place. Yeah. This is the end of the podcast. I have just one last question to ask you, and it's if you have any plugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, the George Lucas Talk Show is every Sunday starting at 8 p.m. Eastern time on PlanetScum.live on. May 2nd, we'll be having our big Star Wars Day show, which will be longer and and, uh, more ambitious. And if you're listening the week that this comes out, unless anything scheduling-wise changes, we got a real good show this Sunday. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a real good regardless, but 
if if the schedule stays the way it is, I think it will be one to watch. You can also watch the old episodes on our YouTube page. It's got everything. You'll be able to find a guest that you like, I'm sure, because there's so many people that we've had on over the last I'd year. like to plug Patrick's Twitter, at Patrick Kotner, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-C-O-T-N-O-I-R. We're trying to get him uh, more followers. He is a really good um, Twitterer. Very good follow. Well, we're, we're trying to get me more followers than one account specifically. Yeah, we're trying to surpass the account for the uh, long ago canceled uh, NBC sitcom 1600 Pen. And we're, and we're less than 500 uh, followers away. So we, we've, we're yeah. hoping we can make this by Star Wars Day. But we need your help. If you can retweet his uh, Twitter and tell your friends to follow him. That'd yeah, be great. That'd be nice. Um, also my podcast dead eyes. Uh, we're currently between seasons, but you can find the first 20 episodes um, wherever you look for podcasts. Thank you so much for both taking times out of your day to check. Thank with you. you. Yeah. This is fine. Thanks for having us. Hopefully having two guests wasn't a real nightmare. No, it was great. You're both uh, great people to talk to. So I've had a really good time. Thank good. you. Good. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at, at @marianisbeats on Twitter and Instagram for all dowdy updates. As all podcasts will tell you, all rates and reviews will be super welcome. And do share the podcast with your friends or on your socials. Hashtag DowdyPod. I would also like to know your picks of people who, to you, are examples of bravery. Share them on your reviews or tweet them at me. Huge, huge thank you to Champagne for the podcast jingle and a bunch of other things that are in podcast related. If you've enjoyed listening to Dowdy, have some spare to give, and would like to support me and help me improve on my tech and skills, all tips are welcome through PayPal and Coffee on at Mariana's Beats. I've been Mariana Feijó. Until next week.